You are listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are a lot of exciting things going on at Collective as the new year begins, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now here's Sunday's message. All right, so I want to start today by celebrating something with you all. Uh, For the people who manage our finances, it takes them a couple weeks to tabulate everything at the end of the year, but all of those numbers are in, and so I just have to brag about you to you because you were more generous in 2023 than any year in Collective's history, and last year, you all gave over $1 million to the general fund. It's incredible. And I could spend a few minutes explaining why this matters so much, being a church plant, being six years old, having Uh, a year of COVID, all the things that we've been through. But the main thing is this, you guys are incredibly generous. Now, let me remind you of the impact of that generosity and why so many people at Collective choose to trust God with their finances. Your generosity allowed us to expand this space to add more seats so more people could bump into Jesus. And if you haven't looked around lately, we are already filling those up. Uh, We don't have another plan. And so this is it, okay? We have more seats coming. We're going to figure it figure it out. But your generosity allowed us in the two weeks after Christmas to create more space in this room so more people can experience Jesus. It allowed us to purchase our food truck. Um, This was just a dream that we had a few years ago, and now we own it. And this is going to allow us this year to serve our community in bigger and better ways. Uh, It's allowed us to have a church planting resident, someone who's with us for 12 months to learn what a church plant is like, what the grind of church planting is before we send them out to go plant a church somewhere uh, in 2025. And most importantly, your generosity helped 36 people get baptized last year, which is pretty incredible. So I just want to say thank you for being generous. Um, one, one thing that I try to remind our church often is that nothing predicts the future impact or growth of a church better than the generosity of people who go there. And because so many of you are generous, we know that God has done some amazing things, but that the best is still very clearly ahead of us. And our hope this year is to baptize more people and that there's an even bigger impact in Frederick. And that's because you guys are so generous uh, and trusting God with your finances. Now, now, one last thing. If I didn't say this, our finance team would give me a lot of crap for this. If you don't give to Collective and you're kind of waiting for the time where we pass the baskets or like have a whole conversation about it, it's not gonna happen. Uh, we don't pass baskets. We haven't done that since 2018. Um, but if you're waiting for someone to say, hey, you should consider giving, this is what you're gonna get this year, okay? Um, the best way to do that is you download the Church Center app and then hit give or you go to mycollective.church slash give. All right. I'm gonna check in with you all. How are you doing with the 35-day challenge? Okay, good. Oh, man, first service, they like died last week, okay? They were failing, so you're my favorite service right now. There are favorites. If you've ever wondered, I change from week to week depending on how involved you guys are in the sermon, so you're winning right now. Um, Did any of you, though, feel like last week was harder? Like it just kind of like amped up. I know for me, week one, I felt like I just cruised through it. It was just really easy, and I think what happened last week for me is that the hype kind of wore off because there are times I'd get to the end of the day and I'd think, I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, I was just so busy and just so many things going on, and I realized what was happening to me was that uh, I was checking the challenges off, but I hadn't made them a priority. 
right? They just became things I tried to fit into these 10 or 15 minutes pockets that I had during the day. I kind of shoved them into these open slots. And week two really forced me to double down and start to make these things a priority. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about as a church, we are doing a 35-day challenge, and we want you to join us. Whether you're new and this is your first day, or maybe you failed last week and you're trying to figure out if you're going to keep going with it, we want you to join in because every day for the next 35 days, and for some people, they're about two weeks in. Some people failed last week, so they're just a few days in. But for 35 days straight, we are doing 15 minutes of physical activity We are reading the Bible, we're praying, we are serving, and we are sacrificing. And you can learn more about this by going on the Church Center app, by clicking coming up, and then hitting the 35-day challenge, or you can go on YouTube and watch the past two weeks of this series. But the goal for all this isn't that we earn grace. It isn't to earn something with God. We can't do that. We can't try to be good enough with God. That just happens through Jesus' death on a cross and us putting our faith in him. But the goal is to train ourselves to live the life that Jesus calls us to live so that we can experience the freedom he promised. And to do this, we are focusing on our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oftentimes, we have this tendency, especially at the beginning of the year when we set resolutions, we kind of separate these things out. We'll decide that we want to be physically healthy or emotionally healthy, but we neglect these other things. And the problem is that our heart, soul, mind, and strength are all interconnected. They all impact each other. So when we neglect one, we feel the impact in the other areas of our lives. And so we're doing five practices for 35 days that will help us build new habits and get healthier and do hard things and build spiritual grit and grow in our faith so we can experience the life how Jesus wants us to. By the way, we do have a surprise for you all. Um, I didn't share it the first week because I didn't want you to join in to get a prize, but there is a prize. If you finish the challenge, meaning for 35 days in a row without failing, cheating, justifying why you failed, some of you, uh, (laughs) forgetting or skipping, right, all five challenges, 35 straight days, we have a gift for you. And for the first time ever, and probably the only time we'll ever do this, we have specially designed tumblers so you can show off to everyone else that you crushed this challenge. I would encourage you to bring it here once you complete it and sip your coffee very slowly so everyone around you knows, I did this thing. And, and, And here's the thing with that. We will keep these in stock all year long because our hope is that at some point, This year, you complete the 35-day challenge. And so if you have already failed or if you haven't decided to start yet or still wrestling with it, we will hold on to these for you because the goal isn't perfection. It's that you complete all five of these tasks for 35 straight days, and then you can get your collective 35 tumbler and brag to everybody that you know. Now, out of curiosity, I'm going to put the five challenges on the screen, and I want you to raise your hand with the one that you feel is the most difficult for you. So how many of you would say that physical activity has been the hardest to complete so far over the last few days? Okay. Um, How about Bible reading? All right, just a few. Um, Guided prayer? Okay. Um, How about sacrifice, giving something up for 35 straight days? Yeah, that feels right. Um, How about serving others? Yeah, this one's been like sneakily tricky, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a few weeks. I shared last week that physical activity has been the hardest for me because it means I have to find time to do it. I have to find 15 minutes in my day. But the challenge that has really given me the most pause, the challenge that's kind of hit me the hardest has been the guided prayer because it's forced me to slow down. It's forced me to stop and think about the questions that I'm being asked. It's not just something where I say, okay, God, here's my prayer, and I move on and check a box. It's kind of forcing me to think about things differently. Here are the three questions we're asked every day in the prompt for prayer. It's what are you thankful for? What do you need from God? And what does someone else need from God? 
And if you've been doing the 35-day challenge, you know that these questions are penetrating questions. They feel small, but they're not really small questions that we can just mindlessly answer while sitting at a red light. And that's why we're going to dig into these questions a little bit more today. Now, prayer is kind of complicated. Weirdly enough, prayer has made its way into social media and pop culture as a way of people saying that they care. We see this whenever there's a tragedy, people will post things like thoughts and prayers are with, you know, fill in the blank. We see this in hashtags, hashtag pray for Cowboys fans. They deserve to lose, okay? And you know what? They deserve McCarthy for another year. And so I'm not praying for them at all. Right? And, and I don't know, maybe we're praying against them. That's really what's happening. But I don't know how effective social media prayers are. I don't know if Jesus responds to hashtag prayers or if they have to be trending before it actually hits his radar. <laughs> but whether it's thoughts and prayers or hashtag pray for whatever, prayer has become an inescapable part of our culture. And it's because people are comfortable with prayer, or at least the idea of prayer. People pray, they acknowledge prayer. Right? We do it when we're hurt. We do it when we are in an unknown situation. We do it when we're confused. And so we're kind of comfortable with this idea of prayer, but we often don't know why we should pray or what we should pray for. And so that's what I want to focus on today. I've preached sermons in the past about how we should pray, and so this isn't going to be that. Today is why we should pray and how the prompt from the 35-day challenge can help us figure out what to pray every single day. The best example that we have of prayer and, and a person who embodied it was Jesus. And so let's look at his life. In Luke 5, verse 16, it says this, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus often withdrew for prayer. My original intention was just to use this verse, but anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the word but at the start of a verse, it should cause you to pause. Because what that means is that there's something ahead of that that's in contrast with what we just read. Meaning you can't skip the verse that came before this. And so let's jump back and read what verse 15 said. It said this, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But... Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So here's what we're reading. People are coming to hear Jesus preach. They're coming to see Jesus perform miracles. They're coming because they want to know what this hype is all about. And I, if I am Jesus' marketing director, I would tell him, now's not the time to go to the wilderness for prayer. Right? I would tell him, now's the time to stay here, get that bigger following, post that story on Instagram, get all the fame that you want. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. If I'm Jesus's mission director, I would remind him, you are here for people. You came to seek and save the lost and the lost are coming to you. You can't ignore them, you can't leave them, you need to have compassion. But Jesus often went to the wilderness for prayer. It was a part of his life, he did this all the time to step out of what was going on and spend time with God. Matthew 14 says this, after sending them home, he went up into the hills to pray by himself. Mark 1.35 says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Luke 6.12 says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Here's the point. As you read through the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, one thing you'll recognize is that Jesus prays all the time. He prays before he's about to do something challenging. He prays after he gets through something challenging. He prays when he needs to seek time with God. He prays when he needs to seek time away from people. Jesus prayed all the time. He was devoted to prayer. He made prayer a priority, and we need to do the same thing as well. Now, there was something different about the way that Jesus prayed. One time, Jesus' disciples came to him, and they asked him to teach them how to pray. 
And this was a weird request because his disciples were Jewish and Jewish people would have prayed all the time. They would have learned very early on what prayer was, how to pray. They would have had specific times during the day to pray. It was something they had to kind of check off every single day. And so these disciples had prayed thousands of times in their life, but they still approached Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And this really hits me because they didn't ask Jesus how to preach. They didn't ask him how to be pure, how to perform miracles, how to spot hypocrisy. They didn't ask him for a leadership lesson. Of all the things they could ask Jesus to teach them, it was how to pray. And the reason they made this request from Jesus was because they saw the way that Jesus valued prayer. They knew it was just so different for him, and they wanted to know more. And I get that. I I feel that tension. Because when I pray, it often feels like I'm just sending up requests to God one after another. Like God is some sort of support service, and I'm just submitting request tickets all day long for things that need to get fixed. Did you know that 55% of Americans pray every single day? It's kind of amazing to think that more people pray every day than not. 28% of people who said they have no faith, meaning people who would say that they're atheists, prayed at least one time in the last three months. One in 20 people prayed for someone that they work with to get fired. (laughs) Some of you have done that, yeah. Some of you have been the person they've been praying about. That's a whole other thing, though. Right? Dear Jesus, please help them get fired. One in five people have prayed that they win the lottery, right? So if you play the lottery, pray for it first, but also give God 10% if you win, okay? That's the right thing to do. 13% of people pray that their favorite team will win. Ravens fans, you were on your knees yesterday, weren't you? You got one, that's fine. Uh, I can confidently say that I've never prayed for the commanders because not even God could save that franchise. It's just, they're just doomed. Um, But I will say that I am going to pray every single day for the Orioles because this is our year. Like, it just feels right. All right, so here's here's why I share this, though. Statistic after statistic shows that we are a culture who prays. People pray, but I think many of us would still say that we feel insecure or maybe we feel uncomfortable with prayer because we aren't sure what we should pray for, what we're allowed to pray for. We're not sure we're actually praying for the right reasons. And when we look at Jesus, we see that he prayed all the time, but it was different than how we tend to pray. Because Jesus wasn't simply lobbing up these requests to God. It was always bigger than that. We see a really good example of this in John 12 when Jesus was approaching his arrest and crucifixion. Jesus says this in John 12. He says, now my soul is deeply troubled. And and this is an understatement. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to give up his life. And he asks his disciples who he's with. He says, should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? He's asking them, "Is is this what I should be doing right now? Should I ask God to protect me? Should I send up that request to God? He says, no, because this is the very reason I came. What he's telling his disciples is that I'm not going to send up these selfish requests to God. I'm not gonna spend time with God right now asking him to do things for me. Because for Jesus, prayer was more about being with God, about communing with God, not treating God like some type of genie that grants wishes. It reminds me of what C.S. Lewis once said. He said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. I would encourage you, if you take notes, you should write that down. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. I believe that when Jesus prayed, his goal was to simply spend time with God. He wasn't trying to convince God to change his mind. Now, Jesus does say, ask and you will receive. 
And so what we know is that God answers prayers as long as they line up with his will. But the more important thing about prayer is that through prayer, God changes who we are, how we see what's going on in our lives. It changes our faith. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Philip Yancey, and he wrote a book called Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? And I love how he summed up why prayer matters. He said, Jesus valued prayer enough to spend many hours at the task. If I had to answer the question, why pray in one sentence, it would be because Jesus did. If you ever want to know why you should pray, the answer is simple. We pray because Jesus did. Jesus made it a priority in everyday part of his life. To drive this point home even further, Yancey wrote this, to discount prayer, to conclude that it does not matter means to view Jesus as deluded. The main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier nor to gain magical powers, but to know God. There's another thing you should write down about prayer. We pray to know God, and I love that. It's not about what we can get from God. It's about knowing God, and that's why I think the prompts in the 35-day challenge are so important. The first one is, what are you thankful for? And it starts with this idea of gratitude. It starts with being thankful. There's been a ton of studies recently on gratitude. Here's some of what they found. They found that grateful people sleep better. As an exercise, psychologists had people write down one thing that they were thankful for before going to bed, and then they tracked their sleep. And they found that if you write down one thing, even if you had the hardest day, if you write down one thing that you are thankful for, you will sleep better. They found that gratitude increases mental strength. This comes from a study when soldiers were coming home from war. They had them write down one thing that they were thankful for, and the soldiers who did experienced less PTSD than the soldiers who did not. They found that gratitude impacts our physical health. Studies show that gratitude leads to healthier hearts, higher immunity, and less aches and pains. Right? And all of this makes sense, because one of the things that we've been talking about in this series is how our heart, soul, mind, and strength are all connected. They all weave together. One compilation of studies even found that teenagers and adults who feel grateful are happier. They get better grades. They have better friendships. They sleep better, have more energy, have fewer illnesses, and experience less pain. Basically, what they found is that gratitude can change your life. And I know that there are cynical people here who would say that if you are healthier, then you're going to be more grateful. And I know there are cynical people here who would say, well, if you have better friendships, of course you're gonna be more grateful. And that is true. But Dr. Robert Emmons from the University of California wanted to find out if gratitude was in fact circumstantial. He wanted to know, does gratitude lead to a better life or does a better life lead to gratitude? So he became the world's leading researcher on gratitude. And here's what he found. All of his research points to the exact same conclusion. It's not your circumstances that produce gratitude and all the benefits that come with it. It's gratitude in any circumstance that leads to all the benefits. And all these studies were done by simply asking people, practice being grateful and then tell us how you feel. And the byproduct was all of these good things. So it's not you are a grateful person or you are not. It's not how you were born. It's do you practice being grateful? And if so, all of the benefits research shows are available to you. This is why Paul said before any of these studies were ever done in 1 Thessalonians, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for those of you who belong to Christ Jesus. If you've ever asked, what is God's will for my life? Here it is, be joyful. Be grateful in all circumstances, the highs and the lows. You see, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer, and when he did that, he had to be doing this very thing. He had to be practicing gratitude. 
And so when you do the challenge, when you get to pray, slow down and think of something that you are genuinely thankful for, even if your day was terrible. There is something that you can be thankful for. The second prompt is this, what do you need from God? Like I said earlier, I love the way that these prompts are set up. I think it's very intentional that the first prompt focuses on God. Because after the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he introduced something called the Lord's Prayer to them. Lord's Prayer starts, our Father, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Right? He starts by telling them, focus on God. And in this prompt, we're doing the same thing. We don't start by focusing on ourselves and our wants and our desires, which is typically what we do when we pray, right? We tend to throw one thing up. And it's about something that we need in our life. But instead, we focus on the things that God's done, on who God is and what he has done in our lives. And we recognize to start that God is good. Once we recognize that God is good, then we begin to ask ourselves, okay, God, you are good, but here's something I need from you. You know, there's one type of prayer that really bothers me, uh, and it's when people pray vague prayers, when people just won't come out and tell God what they need, and what they end up doing is they just kind of ramble and talk around it. It reminds me of when my kids approach me when they want something but don't know how to actually ask for it, and so they just kind of dance around it. And my girls did this to me the other day. They wanted to watch a movie, and I was watching football. And so they walked up, and they gingerly asked me, hey, Daddy, remember when we did that movie night? That was a lot of fun. Yeah, they're super subtle. So then what happened is Elise does this thing where she's trying to, like, be joyful, where she fake laughs, and she sounds like a serial killer. And so she does this, like, ha, 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 like, this is supposed to be fun. And I was like, this is weird. Um, I know my kids aren't the only ones who do that, right? Right? Okay. <laughs> Nod with me. Those of you who have little kids, I need, I need this. <laughs> but she continued and she said, I was wondering if maybe, not now because football is on, but maybe soon we could do it again, you know, if, if you want to. And then she said, if you, if, you, if you want, you can pick the movie too because the last time we picked it, and I know you like to pick good movies. And then they both were like, okay, thanks, Dad. And then they walked away. They never gave me a chance to answer, and so what I did is I called them back to me, and I do this to them all the time, and I told them, look at me and say what you want. Tell me what you want. Right? Be direct with me and ask me what you want to ask me. And then Elise, our eight-year-old, she took this really big, deep breath and said, Dad, can we please watch a movie with you? And we do the same exact thing when it comes to God. When we pray these generic, vague, soft, fake prayers, when we don't actually tell God what we need and we pray things like, God, you know what I need. Yes, he does, but tell him anyways. When we say these prayers like, God, there are some things that I'm struggling with or things could get better. I think God is in heaven thinking, just ask. Be bold. You already told me what you're thankful for. You already know I'm good. Say what you want to say. What are you struggling with? What do you need help with? Tell me. I know some of you are wondering, am I judging people's prayers? Kind of. Yes, I am, okay? But that's because one of the things that Jesus railed against were people who followed God but were fake. God wants us to be real and vulnerable with him. God would rather we be honest with him no matter what we have to say than fake it and try to think of the perfect things to say to try and impress him, to hopefully trick him or maybe false humility him into answering our prayers. So be real with God in your prayers. Be honest with him. And show all of the emotion that comes with that, joy and fear and excitement and anger and sadness and confusion, just be real. And the thing about prayer is that we don't even have to say it out loud. God knows what's on our hearts. 
But yet time and time again in Scripture, we are told to tell God what we need. God, I need your wisdom because raising kids is hard. God, I need you to intervene in my marriage because it's breaking apart. God, I need you to give me the strength to call a therapist because my mental health is cratering. God, I need you to heal that wound that's destroying my peace. God, I need you to show me what I'm supposed to do with that friendship. God, I need you to forgive me because I just keep messing up. God, I need help. What do you need from God? Going back to the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he teaches them to say, give us this day our daily bread. And really what he's telling them is, tell God what you need today. Right? You're saying, God, I need this today. I need food today. Give us what I need right now. In his book, Yancey wrote, in my travels, I've noticed that Christians in developing countries spend less time pondering the effectiveness of prayer and more time actually praying. And we know that's true because the time in your life when you prayed was the hardest time and it was when your life was falling apart and you needed God to show up. This is why in our country, even the majority of atheists say that they pray. Because you're wait, when you're waiting in a waiting room for life-saving surgery, you pray. When you just can't push through it anymore, you pray. When you feel lost or confused or stuck, you pray. So Stop wondering about the effectiveness of prayer and just do it. What do you need from God? And think about this question. It's not what do you want from God. It's not what would be nice for you to receive from God. It's not what do other people have that you are jealous of. What do you need? So in this challenge, we're saying, let's just take a minute to tell God how good he is and then tell him, hey, God, I need you to show up. This is what I need right now. Here's the third prompt. What does somebody else need from God? Now, if you are like me, you wish this said, what do you want someone else to get from God? Because I have a ton of answers for that prompt, okay? I want him to be more patient, I want them to be more generous, and I want her to be nicer. But the question isn't, what do I want other people to get from God? The question is, what does someone else need from God? And so do you know what this question makes you do? Talk to people. Ask people. It makes you text someone to ask, how can I pray for you today? What do you need? Not just how is your day going, but what do you need from God? And here's the thing. Christians, including myself, have this tendency to say, I'll be praying for you, but then we rarely do it. And if I'm being honest with you, sometimes when I say I'll pray for you, what I'm trying to actually do is let you know that I genuinely care for you. But sometimes I keep going with my day and I forget to pray. I do, I'm sorry. I know I'm not the only one, but I'm sorry that I do that. And there's this culture in church and in Christians in general where we tell people, I'll be praying for you. But what we're really saying to them is, I'm sorry you're going through that. What we're really saying is, oh, man, that really sucks. Or what we're really saying is my thoughts are with you. But thoughts don't move mountains, prayer does. And so we need to fix this culture in the church. Christians need to fix this culture. When we say, I'll be praying for you, what it should be is a promise. It should be a promise that we are making to someone where we're saying, we are going to pray and I'm going to pray for you without ceasing. I'm gonna pray boldly for you. And maybe instead of choosing to pray later, hoping that you remember before you go to bed, what if we chose to pray in the moment? If you're out with some friends and they say something heavy, instead of saying, hey, I'm gonna pray for you later today, how much better would we say, can we just pray right now? I think there's so much more power to that. Now, is it awkward? Yes. But prayer is always going to be a little awkward. But this is just more powerful. What does somebody else need from God? This means we need to be asking others how I can pray for them and actually following through. And don't forget, if you don't know 
what you need to be praying for for other people in your life. The best thing you can pray for every single day for the people in your life is that they experience Jesus. The best thing that you can be praying for for your friends, especially the ones who don't know Jesus, is for their own salvation, is that they throw themselves into the arms and grace of Jesus. Jesus says this in John 6. He says, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. So it's our responsibility not to save people, but to pray for people in our lives who don't know Jesus. And yes, it is absolutely fine to pray for someone's surgery or that someone finds a job. We should absolutely 100% do that. But at the end of time, there's only going to be one thing that truly matters, and it is not how their knee healed or if they got that job. It's do they know Jesus? It's do they know grace? Do they know hope? Have they put their faith in Jesus, and are they living the new life that he promises? At first service, we got to celebrate what this new life and this grace and this hope looked like for Melanie. Melanie uh, got in the trough a little bit earlier to get baptized. Melanie is eight years sober after battling a heavy drug addiction. And as Melanie started to fight for recovery, her faith in God began to grow because she realized that what she wanted in her life couldn't happen without God. One of the things that she shared with us was that the more she leaned into her relationship with God, the more she realized that all the good things in her life she can only thank him for. And this is the fourth baptism of the year. Hopefully there'll be many more. But if you are somebody where you want that grace and you want that hope and you want that new life and you want to experience that salvation, all those good things that God has to offer, we wanna encourage you to check the baptism box on your connection card. What we'll do is we'll call you this week and we'll talk about how you have the assurance of grace forever. It's not a bunch of boxes that you have to check off of doing all the right things. It's just saying, Jesus, you are my leader and my forgiver and I'm leaning into that. So the prompt asks, what are you thankful for? What do you need from God? What does somebody else need from God? And for the rest of this series, one of the things we're gonna challenge you to do is not just to keep those prayers on an app or not just keep those prayers on a PDF that you're writing down, but to share some of them in the lobby. As you came in today, uh, I'm sure some of you noticed that we set up a prayer wall that's on the pallet wall uh, just out into the left. And for today and over the next two weeks, we want to challenge you and encourage you to write down some of the prayers that you are praying right now and add them to that wall. And you'll see there's a prompt for each one. And so the first one, you write down some of the things that you're thankful for and you stick it up there. And the next one is, what are the things that you need from God? And then you stick it up there. But the last panel, we kind of flipped. And instead of saying, what does somebody else need from God? What it is, is an opportunity for you to share, how can someone else pray for me? And so the first two panels hopefully get filled up with prayers, but the third panel is more of a leave a prayer, take a prayer. So You write down something that you want someone else in this church praying for, you stick it on the wall, then you can grab somebody else's and take it home with you. This is an opportunity for you to share what you need from God and place it on a wall so someone else can pray for you. And you don't have to write your name if you don't want to. And yes, that means a stranger will be praying for you every day for the next few weeks. But imagine if we all did this. Imagine if the hundreds of people at Collective wrote down their prayer requests and hundreds of people were praying for them every day for the next few weeks. How powerful would that be? So I encourage you to take some time after service today or before the next few weeks and, and share those with other people in this church. Not too long before Mother Teresa died, she was being interviewed and the reporter asked her, what do you say when you pray? And she responded by saying, uh, I just listen. And the reporter asked, well, what does God say to you? And Mother Teresa smiled and said, I don't expect you to understand this, 
but he listens. And here's what she's saying. The great benefit of prayer is not that you gain magical powers or manipulate God or hear something that God has just for you. The great benefit of prayer is to be reminded that God is still God. It's to know God. It's to be reminded that God is still here. And so we pray because Jesus prayed, and we pray to thank God for all that he's done. We pray to tell God what we need, and we pray for other people and what they need. But we pray to remind ourselves that we are in the presence of God, that he never leaves us or forsakes us, and we pray to know who he is and know that he is still here. And so I encourage you to take time to pray every day for the next 35 days. Tell God what you're thankful for, then tell God what you need. And hopefully this leads to habits, and after that, this is something that we do every single day, but for now, don't rush through it. Don't make it another thing to check off. Don't vaguely write things into the box. Take a step back and slow down and be reminded that prayer exists so that we know that God is still God, and God is still good, and God is still listening. Let's pray. God, I know for... For a lot of us, Sunday is really the only day that we pray. God, I, I know there are people in this room that the only time that they experience prayer is at the end of a sermon. And God, that's not, that's not how we want to live our lives. God, we, we want to create the discipline of praying every single day, of being in your presence every single day, of communing with you every single day, of being reminded that you are good and you are with us every single day. So God, um, for those of us, including myself, who struggle to make prayer a priority, God, I, I pray that this series and this challenge helps us do that. But God, not just do it to where we're checking off this box or filling out uh, this form and, and trying to fit it into our day or, or shove it in at the very end of the day. God, I, I pray that we take the approach that Jesus took. And even when life was busy and even when life was chaotic and even when good things were happening or bad things were happening, he stepped out. He stepped aside. He went to the wilderness to pray. God, God, help us make this a priority where we step out of our day-to-day, we step out of our life, and we spend time with you. God, as, as we pray, um, we, we hope um, that we feel your presence. God, I, I, I hope that we understand that sometimes we won't hear back from you. You're just listening. But God, it's just an opportunity for us to know you more and, and, and for you to change who we are and how we see the world. God, we're thankful for prayer. God, we're thankful that we can be so connected to you that we can speak to you every single day. God, that we don't have to go to a priest, that we don't have to go into a temple, that we don't have to have somebody else do it for us, that we have this opportunity one-on-one. But God, help us have the courage and the discipline and the new habits to make this a part of our life. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.